Some of you may know that uh, we have been uh, talking about some of my favorite messages over the last couple of weeks and for a couple of weeks to come. The one that I have today, it was originally preached in 2016 called Mind the Gap. And it ranks as one of my favorites because it calls attention to how every one of us can witness to the working of God within our lives in a wide variety of experiences. Uh, within the United Methodist Expression, we claim that we have a deeper understanding of God in four primary ways, through scripture, experience, tradition, and reason. And this message pulls together three of those four, I think, in a powerful way, those uh, three being scripture, experience, and tradition. So there's also a timeless quality to this message, I believe, that uh, fits the events of today. And so, Mind the Gap, based on 1 Timothy, beginning in chapter 6, and I'm going to start with uh, verses 2b. That's the second part of the second verse. And some of your Bibles will have uh, maybe a little bit of a break right at the point where I'm starting. You're going to be hearing some things about finances in here that, uh, though prominent when you hear them, uh, it's not going to be the, the prominent focus of, of the message, because I think that there's, are, there are even broader implications uh, to what Paul is saying here beyond some of the things he's talking about with finance. Hear these words from 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, uh, beginning with verse 2, the second half. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy or strife or malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a, a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, and Paul here is specifically talking to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here ends the reading of God's most holy word. We thank you, dear God, for your word and pray, dear God, that you would open our heart in the power of your spirit, that we may gain wisdom and confidence and faith and a deeper relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in his holy name. Amen. London has an amazing underground transportation system. 
whisking millions of people a year through its streets and suburbs in a matter of minutes. And while waiting for a train, there are signs on the edges of every one of the platforms as you board the train and recordings through the public address system that repeatedly remind passengers to mind the gap. You see, there are just a few inches between the platform and the train, and you have to take care not making sure that your your foot is caught in that gap. Londoners here mind the gap, especially if they travel the underground, probably hundreds of times a day. And it got me to thinking that there are lots of gaps in our world, not only where we might injure a foot, but where we could also injure our soul or our relationships. Uh, There can be gaps between people. There can be gaps between co-workers. There can be gaps between family members, gaps between groups of people in a community. And obviously, there are also political gaps, gaps between countries, gaps also in availability of services, rural versus urban, or rich and poor, and gaps, yes, even between ourselves and God. Over the years, over the past 15 years, I have spoken oftentimes of those opening chapters of Genesis that speak to the broad categories of those gaps, of separation between ourselves and ourselves, between ourselves and God, between ourselves and other people, between nation and nation, and even between people of the earth and creation. So we need to be mindful of those gaps that take place within our lives. We need to be aware that we have, in order to have a teachable spirit, to be mindful of those things. And if mindful of those things, then to do something about those gaps in the power of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. To open ourselves to God's grace and to His correcting spirit within us much like perhaps a mother would correct our actions as we were children growing up. Now, Paul's advice to Timothy sounds much like that too, I believe. For instance, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 4, where Paul talks to Timothy about there being an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels, words that can result in envy or strife or malicious talk. And then again in verse 5, he talks about how there's constant friction between people of corrupt mind. And then in verses 9 through 10, Paul refers to gaps that are created because of inequities uh, and, and inequalities, an obsession with money. Not only do those sorts of gaps not belong to the spirit of Mother's Day, they simply should not belong to the spirit of any day that we experience within our lives. Just outside of London, there is an idyllic community called Tunbridge Wells. They take pride in their streets, streets lined with trees and beautiful gardens, good hospitals and schools, and reportedly, all the kids clean behind their ears and go to bed on time. You get my drift. Everything is perfect so they say, in Tunbridge Wells. It's often referred to as Middle England. 
conservative, and everything done with proper decorum. A tour guide shared with us a story about the community that goes like this. She said, it's really Royal Tunbridge Wells because anything that has a connection to royalty is to be called royal. Certain royalty and their residences are in the community of Tunbridge Wells. And it just so happens the community has another reputation. Over the years, there are certain individuals who are anonymously vocal about a wide variety of issues, many of which are rather petty. They would write the local newspaper concerning the state of society, crowded trains, crowded streets, the youth of today, whatever crosses their mind, catches their fancy, in order to express dismay. Maybe someone stepped in a wad of gum on a sidewalk, and all of a sudden they write a letter, shoot a letter off to the local newspaper, disgusting. These people would sign their letters in a variety of ways, but disgusted of Tunbridge Wells was a phrase that has stuck for generations. What a reputation to have a town with a reputation like that. You can well imagine that most people of Tunbridge Wells are not at all happy with the stereotype and campaign for a very different slogan, which they say should be changed to delighted of Tunbridge Wells. Yes, there are people we run across in our world who seem to thrill at unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels. Paul called them conceited in verse 4, those who have no respect for others. There are certain things in this world for which there should be a healthy disgust. As he writes to Timothy, Paul was disgusted about people who like to be disgusted. And that, he says, creates enormous gaps, divisions, and separation, everything about which God is not. Ever concerned about unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ, Paul seeks Timothy and, and us to, to pursue a better way something he calls godliness with contentment. And that phrase is found in verse 6. Godliness with contentment. And a little bit later on, in verse 11, he begins to define what godliness with contentment looks like. Pursuit of those things that are right, of love, those things that have an enduring quality, of gentleness, he asked Timothy and us to fight the good fight of faith. And he asks us to take hold of the eternal life to which we are called. These are the things, these are the things that have to do with godliness that leads to contentment. Now, there will still certainly be things that we must be disgusted of in this world. I can think of a few, perhaps you can too. Food insecurity is something that disgusts me, but we can do something about it. Racial disparity is something that disgusts me, but we can do something about it. Injustice is something that disgusts me, but we can do something about it with God as our helper, our guide, 
and with Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Paul insists we must stay focused on the things of God and work with God in overcoming forces and powers that fight his love and grace. Yes, all the world's a hubbub, and it seems to be especially now. So what's that other great English phrase that we've heard bantied about of late? Keep calm and carry on, as they say. Or our own rendering of that, keep calm and carry out in this area. Counselors speak of being a non-anxious presence. I must work on that one all the time. A non-anxious presence. Easier said than done, especially for me. If you were to see me behind the scenes sometimes, I'd be wringing my hands and constantly asking God for help. And I think that that's probably not too uncommon for each of us, especially in days like these. Carry on the good fight, Paul will say in verse 12. Paul will remind Timothy a second time of this in his, own, in his last letter to Timothy, where he says, and referring to himself this time, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So keep calm and carry on. As we approach the end of this first letter, Paul specifically calls Timothy to do certain things as a leader within the church. And these are things I think that would be wise for every one of us to be able to bear in mind. In verse 18, Command those who are rich to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in verse 20, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Consider your families. Consider the importance of your church. Consider your community. Consider the relationships that are dear and near to you. Consider those things that are of most importance. But especially consider and guard your faith. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas that what is falsely called knowledge, which has led people away from their faith. Paul writes, so both instructions are, remindful, are reminders to be mindful of those things that create the gaps and how, with God's help, we can overcome them. Simply, Paul asked Timothy to lead with a humble servant's attitude. And I would ask the same of each of us as we would move through these next few weeks, especially in our pastoral transition coming up. The character of Evangel Heights will shine through each of you in this transition during the upcoming weeks as we welcome Pastor Michelle. Once again, an image from England. If you have ever watched a royal wedding on television or any service from a palace or, or, or a place of worship like Westminster Abbey, any time a speaker or a worship leader or a choir moves from one place to another, there's this curious person in robe carrying a staff that leads them from one place to another. They always are accompanied, those who are 
leading some form of worship. And they always stay in the background. The person is called a verger. Their fascinating history goes back to the 12th century. Vergers were responsible for the order and the upkeep of houses of worship, including preparations for worship, the conduct of laity, and many other duties of the church. They are familiar sites in English cathedrals, not just royal weddings. In medieval times, the verger was the protector of the procession. Church processions would oftentimes go through the community, and maybe a flock of sheep would be in the middle of the road. And so the verger, carrying the verge or the staff, would move the sheep out of the way of the procession. And even inside the cathedral, as throngs of people would gather, the verger would assure that the procession or whoever was leading the worship would be able to move from one place to another to be able to do their duty. In the verger, then, there combines the idea of guidance and humble service. And I think these are important things for us to consider. Minding the gap, being delighted of Tunbridge Wells, keeping calm and carrying on, and the role of the verger, all images from experiences in England, but all highly relatable to what Paul is instructing Timothy to illustrate the importance of God's church and your role within it and our role together and how we work together, love and care for each other, and mutual service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, I might add, wisdom for Evangel Heights. As we move through May and June, I would call upon each of us to mind the gap, keep calm, take that servant's heart so that God can be delighted in Evangel Heights. So, gracious God, we thank you. We love you. Our hearts ache still for not being able to gather as we had just a couple of months ago. But that day will return. And we are thankful, dear God, that we still can be your church. We can still reach out to others. We can still call. We can still have concern for others. We can still care. We can still love. We can still be your church. And perhaps in ways more creative than ever before. So we thank you, dear God. Let us be mindful, aware of those things that are taking place around us, that we may be instruments of your peace, your grace, and love. It's hard sometimes. It can be very hard sometimes. But dear God, as you work among us as a mother, may we also Carry that same love with us wherever we go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.